Good morning, everybody. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are a great and mighty God. And we pray very simply now that you would bless and that you would speak through the reading and through the preaching of your most holy word. Amen. Otto Frederick Gatsky was a practical man. He worked hard, he enjoyed talking to people, and he liked tinkering in his garage. He was the type of guy that smoked cigarettes without filters. He never wore a seatbelt, and he rolled fast through railroad crossings during a time in our history when everyone stopped at railroad crossings. He was my grandfather. And because Otto was a practical man, I was surprised one day when he called my father and asked if we could come over for dinner that evening. It was a very special dinner. Pheasant. I'd never had pheasant before. And my young mind perceived pheasant to be the type of meal that wealthy and sophisticated people had. And if my grandfather called and asked us to come over for a dinner of pheasant, I knew that this must be a special occasion. And so that evening we went over to their home in Maplewood, Minnesota. We always entered through the basement. We walked through the musty basement, up the creaky stairs, into the hallway where we were greeted by my grandmother, Lucille, in her apron. Grandpa was at his usual perch in front of the television. And as we sat down for dinner, we exchanged the typical pleasantries. What happened at school that day, what Grandpa was doing in the yard, or what kind of projects he was working on. And before long, the pheasant was presented. I was curious to see what it looked like. I was slightly surprised as it came out, and shortly thereafter we gave thanks and we began to eat. And the pheasant was good. It wasn't great, but it was good. And my childlike palate was trying to figure out why this was a meal for sophisticated people, but I knew that I was supposed to like it. And so I kept eating. I mean, after all, pheasant was a special treat. And as the meal went on, I remember quietly waiting, waiting for that point in the conversation when we would learn what the special occasion was. I mean, it wasn't every day that you had pheasant, you know. And sure enough, after a while, halfway through the meal, Grandpa began to describe the events of his day. That morning, as was his custom, he went to the hospital to visit his brother Ferdinand, who was in the hospital for some number of years and then he went to the hardware store. And then while driving back home through a quiet section of road, he came around the corner and bam! And he stopped the car. And he got out and he checked out his bumper. And then he looked off to the side of the road and there was a perfectly good and dead pheasant. He looked around, 
thought about it for a couple of seconds, popped the trunk, threw that bad boy in, and when he got home, he made a call to my father. And all of a sudden, as we're listening to this story, the pheasant didn't taste so good. Here, I thought we were having a fancy meal for noble purposes. But all the while, we were having a meal of roadkill convenience. <laughs> Something presented as noble and fancy, but in the end is nothing more than roadkill convenience. That is the setting of our text for this morning. So I want to ask you to open your Bible with me to the book of Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1 can be found at page 801 of that pew Bible in front of you, and I would encourage you all to turn there. This morning we continue our series that we're calling Renewing Faithfulness. This section of text is a bit longer, so I really want to ask you to stick with it, exercise that mental toughness as we read a number of verses together and see what God is doing, what it says about him, and what he calls of us. Are you there? Malachi chapter 1, page 801. This is what it says. God is speaking through the prophet, and he says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of the Lord that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to the setting, to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or is sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. 
And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen to it, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so, I will make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways and show partiality in your instruction. There are certain words that you do not want to hear from God. And in Malachi chapter 1, we see a number of those expressions that none of us would want to hear from God. Listen to just a few of them. Verse 8, are not your actions evil? Verse 10, I have no pleasure in you. And I will not accept offering from your hand. Verse 14, cursed is the cheat who offers the blemished. Chapter 2, verse 2, I will curse you. And chapter 2, verse 3, I will rebuke your offspring. And I will spread dung on your faces. These are words that you never want to hear from God directed toward you. For God to say these things to his people, Israel, there must have been a serious violation of their relationship. Here's the problem. Let me paint a picture of it for you. As part of their worship, God's people in the Old Testament would offer sacrifices to him. This was part of the Old Testament law. They would come to the temple to do so. And there were specific guidelines of the type of sacrifices that they would offer. Certain animals for certain types of sacrifices. And those animals were required to be among the firstborn. They were required to be among the good-looking, of the strong, of the healthy. But verse 7 and 8 of chapter 1 tell us that these people were bringing animals that were blind, animals that were sick, animals that were lame, animals that were really no good to them. And the priests who had the job of mediating the sacrifices 
between the people and God. Part of their role was to ensure that the sacrifices were good, that they were right, that they were pure. And if they weren't, they were supposed to turn them away. But regardless of what people brought, they would continue to offer these sacrifices to him. And so Malachi chapter 1, God rebukes the priests and he rebukes the people by extension. And he says to them some of the strongest or harshest words that you will see from God in the entire Bible. You might say that theirs was a problem of casual approach. And this casual approach, a casual way to look at God, led them to a casual sense of faithfulness and following him and even a half-hearted sense of worship. What happens when you take a casual approach to God? When you look at the person of God and you treat him like one of your pals, or you treat him like that big, soft, squishy grandfather in the sky. Or you treat him as your lifeline only when you get in trouble. Or as you treat him in a passing thought or a passing glance as you go about your day or about your week. When you think of God in these casual ways, you begin to think that faithfulness to him is a casual Endeavor. It doesn't matter that this goat is blind, they said. At least I'm giving a goat at all. It doesn't matter if we don't follow all the rules. It's just sort of the general sentiment that is important, right? It doesn't matter if I tell a little white lie here or there. It's harmless. And on down the line. A casual approach to God leads to a casual understanding of what it means to be faithful to him. And when this is the case, my friends, we find ourselves in a very dangerous spiritual position. And I must say that I fear that many of us have found ourselves in this exact position. And much of the dysfunction in our American church context today can be attributed to, at its root, Not taking the person of God seriously for who he really is, but rather looking at him with a casual type of approach. And because casually following God is not actually following God at all, as we see in this text, look with me at verses 6 and 7. He rebukes them from the very beginning, and he says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am the father, where's my honor? And if I'm the master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. You priests who despise my name. How have you despised? How have we despised your name, they say, by offering polluted food upon my altar, God says. When we... Look at the accusation. The accusation is one where he says the problem here is not just the sacrifices. The real problem behind the problem, if you will, is the fact that you despise my name. You approach me casually because you despise my name. What does that mean? 
To understand the nature of the accusation, you need to understand what God means by his name. God communicates two very significant things in his name. Firstly, we see that God communicates his revealed character. Exodus chapter 34 reminds us of this. Moses is standing up on the mountaintop. He asks to see God. He wants to know him. He wants to commune with him in a unique type of way. And God tells him that he will go before him and proclaim his name. It says in Exodus 34, 5 to 7, The Lord descended in the cloud and he stood with him there. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God's revealed character, show me who you are, is closely related to his name. Secondly, we see that his name also communicates his presence. In the Old Testament, when the temple was first being built, King Solomon prayed this prayer to God. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, he said, God, yet if have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place which you have said, my name shall be there that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. So God's name is described as his presence among them. So God is saying to his people in Malachi chapter 1, here in my temple, the place where the Old Testament scriptures are read to you, the place where I receive worship from you, the place in the system where you come to know me, the place where I reside among you. In this place, the only true temple in the world among all of the nations of the world, this one place, I am here. And yet, you come to me with shoddy sacrifices. Your priests accept them and offer them to me, pretending that they're noble, when all along they are nothing more than roadkill convenience. You despise my name. Which is another way of saying, you despise me. My friends, this is what happens when you approach God casually. Maybe not immediately, but sooner or later, it leads us down the road toward false or even sinful worship. 
of him. And so now apply this to us. It's not so hard to think about the ways in which we've approached God casually, even in this last week. Never mind the habits and patterns of our ongoing lives. Dabbling in a little sin here, a little bit there. Juicy morsel of gossip here, a little skimping on my taxes there. God won't mind after all. I'm going to church most Sundays. He's not paying that close attention to me. And some of you might be saying, well, Pastor Nick, I, I see what you're saying about the casual approach to God, and certainly we're all guilty of that in certain ways, but as interesting as Malachi chapter 1 might be, how in the world does this possibly relate to us? I mean, we don't have priests, and we don't offer sacrifices. So what are we really talking about here? Well, when the New Testament tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are now priests. We have no mediators between God and man but the mediator of Jesus himself. And we mediate God to the world. And we think to ourselves as priests, if we are taking God so casually... Maybe this condemning word does apply to us in certain ways. After all, you, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you are called a royal priesthood. And we don't have a sacrificial system as such. I mean, after all, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for us. But now we see in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 15 tells us that we're to continually offer up a sacrifice of our praise. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we're to offer our bodies or ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And when we begin to think to ourselves, well, how seriously do I approach God? What are the ways in which I approach him too casually? After all, I don't want to show him that I despise him, but at the same time, I'm not sure that I'm really all in, that I'm fully committed to him, that I take him all that seriously. And it's sobering to think that as we believe that our half-hearted efforts of worship, and we're not really just talking about worship here on Sunday mornings, we're really talking about life. <laughs> You're a priest for life. You're offering sacrifices of yourself for life to God. It's really sobering to think that as we offer these half-hearted approaches to him, that we think are okay, that they're really no form of following God at all. And the cynic will say, I hear you, but it's just too hard. And the Israelites said the exact same thing. If you look with me at verse 13, God anticipates their response. He says, but you say, what a weariness this is. What a weariness it is to follow you the way that you want to be followed. And he continues to say, cursed is the one who offers me a blemished animal. Why? Why is a half-hearted or casual approach to the person of God not acceptable? Well, he tells us multiple times throughout the passage. And most pointedly in verse 14. Look with me. He says, the reason why these things aren't acceptable 
for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. His name, his revealed character, his eternal essence, his presence, his name will be feared among the nations. Not just you, chosen people that I've chosen to dwell with, but everyone in all places will know who I am and they will fear me. And this idea is stated multiple times throughout Malachi chapter 1 and 2. In Malachi 1.11, he says again, For the, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, a pure offering. For my name will be great. And you think you have the corner of the market in this temple. But even the foreigners who just catch glimpses of who I am, they are offering pure offerings of incense and not giving me blind and lame animals. Now, I don't care much for celebrity or for celebrities. You know, in our time, you can be famous for anything or famous for almost nothing. We have such a fabricated view of what makes people important today. But when you meet someone that is truly great, that is genuinely significant and important, when you meet someone like that and you treat him or her like a commoner, that is generally considered to be a huge misstep. God is reminding us that there is no middle ground, people of Old North Church. There's no halfway. You are all in or you are all out because there's nothing common about him. There's nothing normal about him. And there is nothing finite about him. In all places, there will be a time when they recognize his greatness and fear him in his holiness because he is a great and mighty king. So what does God expect of you? This is a sobering word. What is the type of life that God expects? Well, simply put, God expects us to recognize his greatness and to live and respond accordingly. I mean, so often we devalue him. And if Malachi chapter 1 is doing one thing, it is recalibrating our perspective. It's bringing us to a point of personal conviction and even corporate conviction to say, God, so often we devalue you. Sometimes we mean to. A lot of times we don't. But when we do, we realize this is not where you want us to be. In 2012, Yahoo News published a story about a 19-year-old man from Washington State named Dakota Guerin. He was charged with stealing a rare coin collection that was worth at least $100,000. After he had completed some part-time work for a woman living north of Portland, 
the woman reported that her family coin collection was missing. And this included a variety of rare and valuable coins, including Liberty Head quarters and Morgan dollars and other coins dating back to the early 1800s. Now, initially, Dakota Green denied any involvement, and he claimed that the police had no evidence against him. But then he started spending the coins at face value. And apparently unaware of their worth, he and his girlfriend paid for movie tickets using quarters that were worth somewhere between $5 and $68 a piece. Later the same day, they bought some pizza from a local pizza shop. And they used the coins, including a Liberty headquarter that was worth over $18,000. When we honor God or the things of God, we treat him with the value that he deserves. When we dishonor the Lord, whether that's in our attitudes or our actions or even in our worship, we treat God like an ordinary or even cheap object. One example that he gives us of how to live is found in chapter 2. And that's why we included this section here. He talks about his covenant with a priest named Levi. Look at chapter 2, verse 5 with me. He says that my covenant with him, this Levi, was one of life. And peace, and I gave them both to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Levi was given from God in relationship with him both life and peace because, specifically, he feared him. Because he recognized, not afraid of him necessarily, though that is sometimes part of the biblical fear that we're talking about. He recognized his true value, his true worth. He stood in reverence or awe in front of him. So what we see is that a disposition before God, a healthy disposition before God, recognizes his greatness And it leads toward this covenant that he desires to make with you and with me. But ours, some hundreds of years fast forward, is not a covenant of the Old Testament with a person named Levi. Ours is a new covenant through the person of his son, Jesus. And in this covenant, when you recognize or have the right disposition and greatness for who God is, and you stand before him, and you recognize your own shortcomings before him, you're driven to his son who gives life, who gives eternal life, and who gives eternal peace. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would have eternal life. John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. To fear God leads us to faith in Jesus and the desire to follow him. A casual approach to God, well, that leads us down the road of sinful worship. 
But to recognize God for who he really is, to take a step back and say the vastness of him, the power of him, the knowledge of him, so far supersedes anything that I could possibly understand. To fear him in that way then leads us to faith in Jesus and a desire to follow him. There once was a great father, and his sons and daughters respected him. They adored him, and they honored him. There once was a great master, and all of his servants loved working for him. There once was a great king. And the members of his kingdom loved their king. And so they showed their allegiance to him and they submitted themselves to his rule in their lives. My friends, there is one appropriate response to a passage like this. And that is confession. And so now, before we leave here today, I want to give you the opportunity for that type of confession. Because all of us are guilty in some way or another of taking God way too casually. All of us are guilty in some way or another of minimizing his greatness. And so how have you taken him casually? Are you sold out? Are you all in? Or are you riding the fence? Not just at Old North Church, but in your life before him. Are you hanging on to pieces of your life that are displeasing to him? Do your desires and thoughts and actions reflect allegiance to a king or is yours a passing royalty? Do you rely on his son Jesus for your forgiveness and access to him? Let's spend a few moments together in silence. Just you and God before his throne pondering these things. If you wish to come forward and kneel, you can come forward and kneel before God. After the service is over, if you wish to pray with someone, I'll ask our elders to stand off to the sides. You can have someone to come and pray with. But today is a day for each and every one of us to confess.